Investable Universe is about thematic topics in real assets investing. This is what we mean by the global market of things, real estate, infrastructure, land, energy, and other commodities that have historically been viewed as boring old income investments. But take a look at the shifts underway in these asset classes, from industry disruptors to new investors to emerging markets to geopolitics, and you'll find these assets are very interesting. We'll talk about private equity, venture capital, corporate VC, sovereign wealth funds, listed markets, crazy startups, some old guard investment firms, some maverick entrepreneurs, and some paradigm-shifting technologies. One thing is certain, no corner of the global market of things will be left untouched by the changes happening right now, and that's what we talk about on this podcast. So let's talk about 2020, the year that was, and the outlook ahead for 2021 from the perspective of American farmers. As a group, farmers have navigated not just the challenges of COVID-19, but also a tough environment for trade and tariffs with foreign agriculture trading partners, a contentious U.S. election that will have effects on farm policy, and the disruptive technological forces that are shaping the future of farming. And for that, I'm so pleased to be able to speak with Brian Philpot, the CEO and principal owner of Ag America Lending, based in sunny Lakeland, Florida. Ag America was founded to build upon his extensive experience in real estate investing, agriculture lending, real estate law, market analysis, and negotiation. Brian is also a value investor in residential development, industrial and office real estate, manufactured housing, timberland, and has developed and sold a broadcast tower portfolio company to an institutional investor. So we're going to talk more about that infrastructure side of the trade later. Today, Ag America is one of the largest non-bank agricultural lenders in the United States, offering lines of credit, land purchase loans, and refinancing for farms, ranches, and timberland. It is also the only agriculture mortgage REIT in America. Brian Philpot, thank you for joining Investable Universe today. Great to be with you, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. Great. So let's open with an overview of how COVID has affected U.S. farmers and ranchers overall. I mean, this is a segment of the population that is used to dealing with things outside their control on a normal basis. That's I think a, that's fair a, to say. A, a, that's great that you hit on that. Yeah, it's it's been, uh, as with anybody, it's been a tumultuous year. Mm-hmm. I think the, the, the thing to remember with farmers is it, it was already a, uh, a challenging time entering 20. 20. Um, we, you know, we had three years of tariffs of, uh, of, of, uh, downward pressure on, uh, agricultural commodities. And then, and then this hit, right. And it it affected prices. It affected, uh, logistics and it it affected access to labor. Um, and, and you add all of that together. Uh, it was, it, it was, it was challenging, but the thing that I like to say is that farmers, um, they, they, deal with they deal with volatility and prices they deal yeah. with weather they deal with a lot of different things and so it's been a um, it, it's been a, a down year but I think they've overall gotten through it uh, okay yeah so how are your clients feeling about 2021 I mean they've taken a hard hit this year is it are they optimistic <laughs> yeah I think I think people are you know uh, farm prices and, and most of our commodities have, have bounced back they're looking pretty good right now. Yeah. China has been uh, has really increased their purchases here mm-hmm. over the last three months. Um, you know, the uh, uh, food, you know, the, the great thing about agriculture is that the product is primarily inelastic, right? People right. have to eat. And so yeah. while, while, you know, when the economy is down, people may eat less red meat and more chicken, they still are having to eat. And so Right. Um, we we continue to see the demand there and prices are re- returning and and you know depending upon what happens with the new administration, uh, 
um, people are seem to be pretty positive about where we're headed. Yeah. So in terms of uh, let's talk a little just about the disruptions that we saw in 2020. I mean, there were considerable supply chain disruptions following COVID. Did that hit? Did that affect farmers at all? Oh, yeah, in it the, did it, in a number of different ways. Uh-huh. So you, many people read about uh, the meat processing yeah, facilities yeah, right, and, and workers having to distance and then shut down and, and all of that. And so that that created bottlenecks uh, yeah. with with swine and chickens it, it led to them euthanizing a, a large number of the herd with, uh, with cattle cattle farmers uh-huh. uh they just didn't sell and, and they held off and things have normalized there mm-hmm. uh, as it relates to your perishable items you know fresh fruit and vegetables a lot of those farmers uh while while they sold through you know uh, supermarkets and the like they also sold direct to restaurants and hotels Mm-hmm. They were really that, that that had a really negative effect. You were coming out of the winter crops in March and April, mm-hmm. and um, you know all of a sudden you, we had a lot of farmers that we knew that that half of what they sold went direct to restaurants, and that mm-hmm. market was lost and that crop yeah. was lost. So um, you know that's that's been a, a, a major deal. And I guess the last thing I'd say that that COVID affected there um, it, that from a supply chain or or a travel side would be labor. Seventy yeah. percent um, of our fresh fruit and vegetable labor, seventy percent is immigrant labor. Uh-huh. And so, when the borders were shut down and 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 flights were reduced, that had an impact on them as well. Mm-hmm. And to, just to follow up on your your uh, comment about uh, restaurant, the restaurant business as a destination for fresh produce and perishables, do you see that uh, market segment coming back in twenty twenty one? Uh, well, I guess it, yeah, it all depends on the vaccines. But the yeah. good thing for those those farmers is that demand has picked up and picked up right with the supermarkets. People are eating okay. in, they're buying, buying, and uh-huh. so it's not like they lost that 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 demand in full. It just was affected in a short term basis in terms of logistics. Mm-hmm. Have you seen an increase in farmers seeking debt consolidation through your firm or other forms of structured financial relief in 2020? Yeah, it's been a it's been a busy year. You know, our our uh, from a, a distress standpoint, our portfolio has has held up really well. Mm-hmm. And um, I think a big part of that is, is the fact that the government stepped in and provided mm-hmm. significant amount of aid to, to farmers. I mean, I think I think we all realize that food production is an, is so necessary that we can't let mass failures and bankruptcies occur uh, yeah. in the farm sector. So, yeah. you know, farm, net farm and cash farm income this year is going to be over $100 billion, and over $30 billion of that is through direct payments from the federal government. And wow. that's a major increase. Uh, mm-hmm. That's more than double of what it, what it was previous year. So we provided a safety net. I think, uh-huh. think the consolidation that we've seen that you speak to is the broader trend that we've seen everywhere else, which is the the velocity with which we we see the separation between the haves and have-nots. And we've had this consolidation trend over the last decade because precision ag and Uh technology in ag has become so prevalent and the the fixed cost in that so high. Mm -hmm. We've seen seen larger farms getting larger and Mm -hmm. the mid-sized farms getting squeezed out. So so um, there's a 1% in farming also. Is that, is that, that fair to say? Is that, so there's a 1% in farming also. Is that fair to say? Yeah, there's a, yeah we, That's maybe seen, a loaded term. Yeah, yeah that is. I, yeah. Exact, exactly. But, you know, yeah. farms, 
Farms larger than 2,000 acres, that category continues mm-hmm. to increase. Farms smaller than 50 acres, that category increases. You know, we've got, we've got people making a lifestyle decision mm-hmm. and doing organic and part-time farming. That's increased. But everything between 50 and 2,000 acres is shrinking. Mm-hmm. Those, those that number of farms is shrinking, and you know I don't I don't I don't know that that's a good thing. Ninety six percent of farms are farms in America are family owned. So, yeah. um, you know I think that I think that it's it's important for us to realize these rural communities. There's yeah. there's part that's not not it's not economic just economic there that we need to be thoughtful about. Yeah, and what happens in farm in farming communities when when there are fewer small small farmers? Yeah, I, you know these these small research has shown that that mm-hmm. family-owned farms um, are um, are more productive, mm-hmm. and obviously they take care of the land on a more long-term basis. So it's you know whether whether you want to say it's sustainable farming as we think of it, it's it, they take more care of the land, and it yeah. became sustainable longer because of that. So there's that part of it, and and you know they're they're employers, they're these these areas they're they're involved in the fabric of the community um and they're there for multiple generations so that's that's important Uh, and that's not to say that these large farms this consolidation happening is like is just is corporate farms a lot of these are larger family farms and Mm -hmm. and and that's fine as well Mm -hmm. so just in in terms of those farmers that are you know investing in either sustainable practices or in long-term land stewardship practices. Uh, let's, can you talk about some of the ways that farmers are now able to diversify their farm income beyond just crop yields, whether it's through uh, newer trends like carbon credit trading or like biogas production? I know that Dominion Energy has uh, an agreement with Smithfield to help convert waste from hog farms into gas. Um, yep. Is that prevalent uh, from where you sit? Is that, I mean, are these just emerging yeah. technologies that are kind of idealistic or are they really uh, gaining a foothold? Yeah, I think, I think we're, we're, you know, we've been seeing a, uh, a transition. Mm-hmm. We've seen a, a, a significant transition into precision ag the last five years. Uh-huh. You know, that was, that was something that, that you had certain farmers that were more technologically savvy, just playing with, 10 years ago, but now there's a, there's a big rush into it, uh, you know, and I think economics are dictating that to an extent. Yeah. Uh, and that, and that, and that's, that's creating sustainability, right? We're being, mm-hmm. we're being uh, uh, more, we're using our water better. We're using fertilizers better uh, mm-hmm. when we do that and, uh, and not using as much fuel. So that, that's good. I think, you know, we, we've seen, We've seen a, a significant number of farmers over uh, the last five years that have, have converted parts of their land into solar. We've mm-hmm. seen that. And we have seen some some of the methane capture, uh, mm-hmm. probably not as widespread as I thought it would be yeah. um, you know, back a decade ago, but um, we have seen some of that. Farmers are talking, though, right? With uh, They've been talking about it, but now that uh, we have a – uh, that President Biden is taking over and with what they've talked about with, um, you know, promoting um, uh, carbon capture and, yeah. and other incentives there. There is talk about that and uh, people are wanting to learn more. We just haven't seen, you know, that that carbon carbon credit side of it in, in any, you know, where, where it's been acted upon. Yeah. Um, 
So uh, if there is, uh, and the last thing I'd add there is that there's been, you know, a lot more adoption of no-till practices and, uh, yeah, no-till practices uh, as well. Uh, can you explain, just for our listeners who, are, who may not be well-versed in, uh, in farm lexicon, what is a, what is a no-till practice? Yeah, no-till, no-till is what we don't, they don't turn up the soil. Uh-huh. Uh, when you turn up the soil uh, to, to plant, it, um, you know, it releases carbon into uh-huh. the, the atmosphere. And so by, by doing, using a no-till practice, while the yields may not be as, as big, it is uh-huh. more, uh, it, it is better in terms of car- carbon impact to the environment. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing an increase in farmers uh, seeking financing, for example, or uh, through sale leaseback models, for example, to in order to free up capital to invest in technology to implement precision farming techniques? Is that a sale leaseback? Sale leaseback of the farmland? Yes. Yeah, and we've we've seen. I think the sale leaseback model is uh, used more as a way for the farmer to exit uh, the business. You know, mm-hmm. we majority of these farmers are in their 50s and 60s. Yeah. I think it's, a, it's something that's been written about. What is what is the status? Where's the next generation of farmers going to come from? Uh-huh. Um, you know, their kids have gone, gone off to college and don't want to come back to a rural area and, and continue what is a, a pretty hard, hard business. And, yeah. um, and so in some of those cases, they sell, and as part of that, we'll agree to lease it back for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, farmers, farmers don't have a lot of debt and, right. uh, to get to your question. So the, yeah. the debt-to-asset ratios you see in these operations is not significant. Right. And for them to have access to capital, those that own their actual land, yeah. They they pretty much have access to it to invest in these in these in these practices. Yeah, I mean, I can just uh, on a on a personal note. I mean, speaking of from the stories I know from my forebears who were farmers and and homesteaders, they feared debt. It wasn't oh. <laughs> it wasn't just that they tended not to not to take it on. They it was they they were afraid of it, right? Uh, the industry wide real estate. Farm real estate debt to farm real estate value hovers between ten and fifteen percent. Mm-hmm. So that just underscores exactly what you're you're referring to. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think are going to be the top policy imperatives for farmers and agriculture under the incoming Biden administration? Well, you know, we've I think I think we've read position papers and 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 other articles, and and you know they're going to be. There's going to be focus on bridging the rural-urban divide. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's going to be focus on net zero emissions, and yeah. um, uh, there's going to be, you know, uh, an approach to global trade in China that that may or may not have an, a, a um, uh, some sort of impact. Regulations, you know, mm-hmm. around water. Uh, water's a, been a big issue over over the years in terms of you know that's been regulated under President Obama and deregulated under President Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know I think that there's depending upon the leadership, there's talk about more diversity in agriculture and how mm-hmm. uh, how that takes place. And a lot of people don't don't uh, realize it, but we've had some we've had an, an increasing amount of diversification in farm ownership here over the last decade. Yeah. Um, it, it, but with with females. Really? 30, yeah. Thirty six percent of our farmers now uh, uh-huh. are women. And okay. 
that's increased over 15% since 2012. I mean, over an eight-year period. So, I mean, yeah, 15, we've had our principal operators Mm -hmm. of farms increase uh, over 15%. So that's that's uh that's pretty neat and i yeah. think what what we've seen with our client base is that the daughters a lot yeah. of daughters are taking over and yeah. um, growing up okay so typically so the the female farmers this new up and coming generation of female farmers that you're seeing they tend to be they tend to come from farm families is that right they're not sort of like fleeing a non you know making a career change or you know the well, pivot I, into farming i do farm. know i do know mm-hmm. of a number that have made a career change and, uh-huh. and gone out and done it on their own but no uh-huh. there are a lot of daughters that are yeah. coming back you know traditionally it would have been the son but wow. a lot of these cases it's daughters that are coming back and taking over which is which is yeah. I, I think a great uh, and neat trend that is that's I, I wouldn't have expected that that's great to hear i think that's amazing mm-hmm. so in in what agricultural commodity market did COVID 19 have the biggest impact or perhaps the most expected impact? I mean, it's it's hard to imagine anything in 2020 that would really be surprising, but what would our listeners be surprised to hear about 2020 farm uh, farm crops, how they how some corner of the market responded to COVID-19? Yeah, well, I, I've mentioned the fruit and vegetables. Mm-hmm. You know, while restaurants stop buying and you have a perishable product that, right. uh, that you can't, can't store. So that was the a huge deal. I think that what I think the one that I would say that people wouldn't otherwise think about would be corn. Corn, okay. Yeah. Uh, so forty percent of the American corn crop goes to ethanol production. Okay. And ethanol is you know required to be be mixed. Congress has passed mixing rules, and it's it's mixed into our our gasoline. And with mm-hmm. what happened with with oil and gas yeah. prices worldwide, uh, corn was was definitely impacted. Yeah, so, it took um, a hit. It took a hit, mm-hmm. and so it, it took a hit. And it, you know, people think of corn and you yeah. know as a as a food for animals and, mm-hmm. and otherwise as a food staple, but um, it's also a huge, huge um, uh, part of you know what we put into our cars. Now, you know, when people talk about oil and gas commodity prices, I think that the uh, the outlook is a little dour as to how long it's going to take to get to pre-pandemic price levels, uh, if at all. Do you see do you see corn sustaining a similar long term hit or is there are there alternative market destinations for the annual corn crop? Yeah. So we've seen we have seen the price of corn increase uh, here most recently because China had a has had a swine flu the past right. couple of years. This yeah. decimated their their you know their mm-hmm. the their pork production. They're building it back up, and mm-hmm. they've been increasing orders uh, and been actually buying record numbers of corn from America mm-hmm. the latter part of this year uh, as they build that herd back up. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little about at one uh, corner of the land uh, and agriculture market that we actually don't have the opportunity to talk about that much. And that's lumber and timberland here in the U S yes. uh, can you talk about what you saw in 2020, whether you saw any supply, bo- supply bottlenecks uh, following on from COVID and what your outlook is for timber prices in 2021? Cause that's sort of indexed to the, to the housing market and, and overall economic demand, right? Yeah, it is. You know, ten, it, it prices fell, fell at, at the beginning of, of COVID because mm-hmm. of supply chain issues. Yeah. Um, and, and, Part of that was just, you know, passing, passing the, the goods along. But also, um, I don't know that people realize, but uh, the timber labor 
mm-hmm. uh, our labor in, in the forest products industry that is um, that's immigrant labor comes through the H two B program, mm-hmm. and that's not wasn't deemed essential during the uh, the pandemic, and so there's been a labor shortage on the the on, in, in the timberland forest products industry this year. Um, Beyond that, though, uh, you know, things normalized and prices returned. And, mm-hmm. um, and obviously that's been been linked to the, the, all of the the um, uh, the housing, housing demand and uh, renovation demand. Mm-hmm. And um, it's unlikely that the timber values right now, as we see it, lumber values are going to fall anywhere below pre-COVID-19 levels anytime soon. Hmm. So finally, I want to devote sort of the end part of our conversation to something you referenced earlier, which is the urban-rural divide, specifically as it pertains to broadband coverage, infrastructure financing, now that you have some previous investment experience in developing and monetizing a telecom, t- or telecom tower, a portfolio of telecom towers uh, in rural areas. What do you see as the, what do you see as the outlook for investment in this area? What's needed? What would be helpful? Are under our current efforts undergoing through the? I know the Department of Agriculture has been a big player. I know Lando Lakes has been a big player in rural uh, rural broadband initiatives. What do you want to see happen in order to close that gap? As someone who's who's there on the scene? Yes. So, you know, with the CARES Act through the Reconnect pilot program, they've got funding they they put out there through the the Department of Ag um, to allocate dollars right now to build some wireless broadband infrastructure. But ultimately, as part of the the talk uh, during during the election, we heard uh, 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 infrastructure, infrastructure, and a lot on rural infrastructure. I mean, the hope is that we that the government plays a role in building out our technology in these rural mm-hmm. areas. Um, I think we've seen with, with COVID and mm-hmm. schools being shut down, how important it is uh, for our people to have access. And, and, you know, these, if you're a kid in an urban area, you've had for the most part had access to, to log online, but mm-hmm. you know, in these, these rural areas, they just don't have it. And yeah. uh, to tap in, so I think that there's a the moral issue that relates to that that we've got to we've got to fix, and yeah. we obviously need. I think the government plays a role there, but 5G is is really important from a business standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, the the precision ag is dependent upon that. Everything right. that we're doing in precision ag now is is all data, mm-hmm. and you know the advantages there if we can if we can bring 5G to these rural areas is going to mm-hmm. be better. Ultimately, it'll mean better crop yields, mm-hmm. lower input costs, and reduce waste, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, ultimately have a more efficient uh, delivery system of food to the table for all of us. And in what kind of time frame do you see five G technologies being transformational for U.S. agriculture? Uh, you know what, I, I, I Rebecca, I, I don't know. It's a crystal how quickly ball. they'll be right. How we <laughs> they'll be, but yeah. it, you know we. We right now we've got you know we have tractors that are self-driving with yep. a lot of our, our clients and mm-hmm. drone technology and all of that. So yep. um, you know if, once we can get it out there, I think it there, there'll be a lot of applications that that'll adopt. But you know, ninety-eight percent of Americans in urban areas have access yep. to stable uh, broadband, and it's what about sixty-nine, seventy percent in these rural areas. So we've yep. got we've got some work to do. 
Well, I, it, it seems to me that one of the challenges in uh, 4G and 5G deployments is the need for uh, is coverage signals. And it then, is. you know, rural areas are very spread out and it's very difficult to install infrastructure that, you know, carries signals uh, as far as they need to go. So what, what do you think is a, is a good solution for, for that quandary? Yeah, I think that we're, I think what we're going to have to do is figure out how to, um, incentivize farmers mm -hmm. to, you know, as it relates to their operations to figure out to connect into it. Uh, uh -huh. You know, ultimately that's going to, whether you're, you're talking about a local system that yeah. each farmer can tap into something larger, but we've got to be able to, you know, start coming up with building the infrastructure to give them access to that. Uh, it's remarkable, these, these clients of ours, how many of them are, you know, getting their internet through their satellite yeah. Are there any pilot programs that you have either heard about or seen or experienced or been involved with yourself that have, you know, sort of shown a direction for whether it's public private partnerships or simply private investment coming into a rural area and investing in broadband infrastructure? Is there anything that's like a, a success story that might be useful for you know, scaling these kind of solutions? I haven't, Rebecca. No, we mm -hmm. have just a few, you know, uh, a few that we've heard, I've heard secondhand, but we haven't been involved with any. Mm -hmm. Ah, so how about your, uh, your own outlook for, for 2021? What are you, uh, what are you anticipating? What's your, what's your forecast for any of the, uh, any of the agricultural uh, crop classes, farming in general, anything you want to say? Yeah, I'm bullish. I, I think that we've, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know that I can go to the, to the, to the extreme that some are saying that uh, we're getting ready to enter another agricultural super cycle, but mm -hmm. we certainly, uh, we certainly have been through a, a rough few years and, yeah. you know, the, the, the international purchases have been down and we're seeing whether it's a result of the election or, mm -hmm. or just some larger trends, we're seeing yep. that uh, purchases are up mm -hmm. uh, for American farm goods. And, you know, assuming that we get this vaccine in the, the U.S. economy and, and uh, elsewhere, we continue to grow ourselves out of it, it should bode well. Yeah. Well, it's a bullish view, and hopefully we've turned a corner, and U.S. farmers can definitely use it. <laughs> That's for sure. Awesome. Brian Philpott, thank you for speaking with Investable Universe today. Thank you, Rebecca. That's all we got for Investable Universe this week. If you liked what you heard, share the link, check out the site at investableuniverse.com or pitch us for future episodes. The address is editor at investableuniverse.com. My name is Rebecca Darst and you'll hear more from me next time.